Hi, this is Bronwyn Windenberg, and you are listening to the podcast, Recover Like a Mother. Welcome back. Hello, my friends. I am so excited that you have tuned in today. And if you're new to the show, welcome to Recover Like a Mother, where I speak with amazing mothers in recovery to share their journey, their experience, and tips on living in recovery. Today, I have a beautiful guest. I met her through that crazy social app, Clubhouse. If you're not on Clubhouse yet, I want to invite you to join. You can send me a direct message. I have lots of invitations. It's just a fun way to communicate and collaborate and get to know people. And today's guest, Bronwyn, is here with me. I can't wait to hear her story and what's going on. Welcome to the show, Bronwyn. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I cannot believe how recovery is popping up, how it's starting to really blossom in the world. I know that you're newly sober. You're a little over a year. 454 days. Is amazing. Amazing. Any day sober is amazing, I think. You're a mom of seven. How did that happen? Seven. I mean, let's be honest. I am an addict and moderation is not (laughs) my thing. So if one kid is good, seven must be better. (laughs) Okay. So were you the type of girl that grew up with like dolls and, you know, like the little houses? Was that you? I was the type of girl that lived in the same town. I lived probably two miles from where I live now. I had a single mom in a town of all married people. And I wasn't allowed to do some of the things because I had to take the bus home. So I couldn't do brownies or after school. And all I wanted as a little girl was that nuclear family. I wanted to, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to have a lot of kids. I wanted what I felt I didn't have as a kid. So I knew from the time I was very young that I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to have a, a lot of kids. And on my husband and I's first date, I was 18, mind you. We were very, we were teenagers. I told him on our first date, I don't want to work. I want to have a lot of kids and I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And he didn't run. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. I I was not that girl. I was like out in the trees, climbing, adventure. Like kids were not on my radar. So when I hear women like you, and I have a really close girlfriend who's like six kids, five kids, more kids. I'm I'm always just like, you're from a different planet. Like (laughs) it's amazing to me. That was all, all I ever wanted to be was a mom. That was it. That was my, I just wanted to be a mom so bad. Yeah. And now like with this information of being a mother, I really believe mothers are the heroes of our planet and we are the makers, the doers, the world changers. So I applaud mothers. And when they have five kids, four kids, three kids, one kid, yes, you're my people. Yeah. And we are, It's, it's like a tribe. Yeah. We're connected by that overwhelming love for not only our kids, but I think all children. Once you have one child, you are just a mother with a capital M, you know? A mother with a capital M. Yes. I'm going to quote you on that one. So you've had all of your kids then pre pre sobriety. My sobriety journey is not linear. It's you know, this is my third time getting sober. So I had my first child when I was 22. So we were drinking and partying. We were very young, you know, straight out of college. And I got pregnant, not on accident. We, we, I went off birth control pills. I wanted to have children young. I didn't want to be in the workforce, but I didn't think like, 
I didn't think of it as I had a drinking issue then because everyone drank how I did back then, you know, very irresponsibly. And then I didn't drink for a very long time. Bella had a seizure, seizure disorder, our oldest daughter. And so I never wanted to be in a position where I wasn't okay. So I had Bella and Rowan pretty quick in quick succession. And I think it just, I was so focused on being a mom and I, I was very insecure in motherhood those first few children, I have to say. I would look at other women and be like, okay, that's what moms do. They're doing it right. Like I never felt comfortable in motherhood. I was about 10 years younger than both, most of the women in my neighborhood. And I just, it, I always felt like, like trying on a dress that didn't fit, you know, for lack of a better word. Like, I don't know. So i never really drank that much with them. And then I had Jacob. I realized that, you know, we wanted to try again, even though we were so young and just so broke, but whatever. And then it wasn't until Jacob turned about two that, and he's almost 16 now. So when he was two, I weaned him because I nursed all of my babies for two years that we started making money. And we were like crazy kids in a candy store. We started going to Vegas all the time. We started partying. And my husband's always been my partner in crime. He's been there right, you know, beside me. So we were living the good life and just having so much fun, but we were definitely drinking and doing other stuff, you know, in excess, but kind of managing it. Like we would go away on the weekends, but then be with the kids, you know, so it was almost like two different lives. But for a while, I thought that I had it under control and it never dawned on me at that time that my drinking wasn't okay until my drinking wasn't okay. And that was a pretty quick switch. So I tried to get sober. I tried to get sober. I tried to quit on my own. And then we pulled the geographic. I had done some stuff in the town we were living in that I just wasn't proud of. And so we moved two weeks, almost got divorced. I mean, it was, we blew our lives up and I, I, I just wasn't doing well. And then I had a miscarriage and I was self-medicating with alcohol and Xanax and that sent me crashing. And I think everyone in my life at that point knew I wasn't okay. My friends, my husband, my mother, I was pushing people away. I was drinking at home alone, uh, hiding alcohol. And that was my first attempt at recovery. Jacob was about four, so 2010. I went to AA, I moved again, I pulled another geographic because I like to run from my problems, you know, at least I used to. We moved to Miami and it stuck for about nine months. And then I was like, I'm fine. It was, you know, I lost a baby. You're fine. And honestly, it just, it, it was from that point, it was a cycle. And then I hit bottom again. I got to a point where I couldn't pick my kids up from school. I had a call for help from a girlfriend. And I went and did something which, and Whatever anyone's sobriety journey is, is there. So I know this isn't for everyone, but I went and did Ibogaine in Mexico. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that, that did help me because I had tried in and out of AA. Looking back, I wasn't ready. I didn't want what they had. I wasn't working the program, honestly. I wasn't giving it up to a higher power. I do work a 12-step program. Once again, whatever works for you, works for you. That currently works for me, but I wasn't doing it honestly. I really wasn't taking inventory at the time. So I went and did Ibogaine down in Mexico and it did, it helped with the cravings, but instead of doing the work that comes after, I got pregnant again. 
So, and then I had four babies in like between 2012 and 2014. I had, tw I had twins and then another baby, then another baby, boom, boom, boom. And I really wasn't focused on being sober. I wasn't going, I wasn't working a program. I was just pregnant and nursing. And I was sort of looking back, I was deflecting all of my addict behaviors onto procreating, onto decorating, onto shopping for baby stuff. I wasn't dealing with the root cause. And then I got a job, you know, my first job in 18 years. And I was filming a TV show, which if anyone's familiar with Real Housewives, alcohol is a big proponent. There's a lot of drinking. I weaned my final baby, Hazel, for the show. And I thought, I'm fine. I haven't had a drink in seven years. I'm definitely not an alcoholic. Uh, everyone was wrong before. I was just, and then fill in the blank. You know, I was depressed. I was bored. I was blah, 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 you know. I gave myself whatever excuses that I think we all give ourselves before we're ready to admit that we have to stop drinking. Because I wanted, I would do anything or be anything besides someone that couldn't drink. So I started filming the show and what my drinking blew up. And so a lot of the things that people saw on that season, my first season was very edited. I got a great edit. They took a lot out, but I was on some of these trips. I had a bottle of tequila in my bag and it wasn't pretty. And when the show stopped filming, I did not stop drinking. And I would hit these pretty bad bottoms and then, you know, take a few weeks off. Okay, you're fine. See, you're fine. I came up with all the rules that I have done before. You know, only drink on the weekends. Don't drink till after five. Only don't drink hard alcohol. You know, like, and now that I've read the big, big book for real, I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a cliche. <laughs> so then we get to a point where I'm hiding alcohol. I'm drinking kind of around the clock. I had gone to, and and with all of this, I am now on a television show and I'm starting to get people into my life that probably don't have my best interest at heart that want to be on the show themselves and are feeding my ego, telling me I'm okay, and really just co-signing my drinking. The people that were concerned, I pushed away. My husband, you know, he has his own story to tell, but he was worried, but he was more worried about what I would do if he pushed me too. So he's, he is very codependent and enabling me. The people that I'm now surrounding myself, my friends, and I, I put that in parentheses because they were not, they were, you know, hanger honors are saying I'm fine. And I'm going, I'm going down fast. And it kind of all blew up on a weekend in Miami. And I had made some rules for myself that I crossed. You know, I had some outside issues that I said I would never do again. And lo and behold, I, you know, it wasn't just drinking. I made, I did things that I swore I would never do again as a mother. I walked in, we were in a, we were in a suite and Sean was in a different room. And this was day four of the trip. And I hadn't left the hotel room in two days because I was drinking so much that I couldn't enjoy Miami. I was just drinking. And uh, I had that moment of clarity that God shot moment, you need help. And I walked into him and I said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. I can't stop drinking. And he sat on me, literally. 
to keep me from drinking because I was shaking so bad. And I do want to say this, and I say this in whenever I talk about this, I did not know you could die from detoxing. I didn't know you could have seizures. I didn't know that. No one should do what I did. You should never detox on your own in a hotel room or on an airplane. That was a very, very dangerous choice. Besides being a very awful choice, it was a very dangerous choice. But I think for me, the the realization is I had to get everything I ever wanted. The house, the husband, the kids, the job, fame, the, the whatever external thing. I had to get it all before I realized that what I was lacking wasn't external. It was inside me. It was, you know, a God-sized hole. And I had that moment of clarity in that hotel room in Miami. And that's when I finally realized I am an alcoholic. I can't drink. I can't manage this anymore. And that was 454 days ago. January 30th, 2020, which also, and I can't not mention this, was my 20-year wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. You know, it's, I've been sober a long time and I hear stories such as yours, as mine, the deceit that we have the people that we surround ourselves with. It's so dishonest and we don't see it. I see this so often. And even in recovery, right? We get into our sober life and we start living and we can still be dishonest with ourselves. We can still put people around us that co-sign our bullshit. So it's, I like that you talked about this inner work and it took you a while it took you like 12 years or so to get to that place where you were ready to look at the inside. Yes. Right. And what you just said, like you got everything, everything, and it wasn't enough. And that I think is so common for women, for alcoholics. And again, I see this all the time and I hear about it and I, I've been through this myself this is the perfect place for me to drop in and invite you to check out the Calm Life program for every mother in recovery. This is a program dedicated to unleashing your inner calm warrior. That's right. You're going to learn how to let go of guilt and shame of not doing enough. You're going to learn how to increase your lifespan. You're going to learn how to say no without feeling guilty. The Calm Life program dedicated for every mother in recovery. I hope you go check it out. Get on the wait list. Find out more at recoverlikeamother.com forward slash calm life program. Let's get back into the show. I want to get to your kiddos and being on that vacation, you're on a vacation with them at that hotel. No, they were not there. It was, okay. it was an adult birthday party for a coworker. Okay. Got it. So what are your kids seeing and thinking as you're going through this process of drinking, giving up, you know, trying to be sober, not what are they watching and saying or feeling? So my children are in two kind of, we call them the bigs and the littles. We have a very big group. So I have 20, 18 and 16. So those are the bigs. And then the littles are eight, eight, six, and three. So the littles, it's a, it's a different story. They have, so they have two different stories. So the bigs have seen me try to get sober a few times. They have seen me blackout drunk on the floor. They have seen me go to 
you know, the county psych ward because I was suicidal from drinking. The bigs have seen all that. My oldest, Bella, took on the role of caretaker. When I was drinking and when they were little, she would, and this is from her because I don't remember it. She, when I would get really bad, would take them and go play with them downstairs and keep them safe and keep them away from me. Um, so their stories and what they have seen is very, very different. I have to mention that none of my older three children drink. Isn't that something? They are right. all too scared of it. Yeah. Uh, when I started drinking this last time, because I'd had a seven-year break. So when I started drinking that last time, they were scared. You know, they didn't tell me at the time that they were scared, but they were worried about me. And, you know, I'm passing now. And it was hard for them. It was hard because they know I have a problem and they had been through it before and it was triggering to them. Do they believe that this sobriety is sticking? They do. Why is that? Something is different. And I think they can feel it this time. I feel it this time. I have run out of ways to drink now. And because I have, like I said, I had to try every way to drink before I realized I can't. And I... I think for me, knowing that I never have to drink again is such a weight off my shoulders. I don't ever have to drink again. No. And that feels so good. Mm-hmm. And they see me working the program. They, they know this is a big part of my life. Have you had a heart to heart with Bella or has Bella said anything to you? I have had heart to hearts with all my kids age appropriately. Mm-hmm. Obviously what I say to my three-year-old and my 20-year-old are very different. Um, I have, and I've, I've had to thank her and apologize to her. Bella is much more closed off than my other two kids. Rowan and Jacob, we, they're much more open. So the conversations with Bella have been, it's fine. It's okay. You know, she doesn't like to talk about it and I have to respect that, but I have thanked her and I have, you know, apologized. I'm definitely making living amends to the older ones. Luckily, the little ones, not that my drinking wasn't bad, but it was, you know, they had to deal with it for about four months. It was probably bad where mommy was drinking too much and going, going to bed early. So my amends to them are not as great as they are to the older ones. You know, like I said, with the little Mm -hmm. ones, the living and amends, they know I go to meetings. We talk about being an alcoholic, just like we talk about anything else in our house, you know, mental illness is, is not stigmatized in our family. So I talk about it just like I talk about having blonde hair because I grew up in a family where my dad died from it and my aunt suffers from it still, you know, and we never spoke about it. Well, it's common to not talk about it. It's a secret. It's shameful, right? It, it, nope. It's like, that can't be happening to us. That's that's bad. It was so important for me to talk about it on the show. So I called my producer. I was like four days sober and I had talked to someone else that has a similar job. And she said, you need to be accountable. You're going to, you know, if you want to stay sober, you have to be accountable. And I, you know, that's why I was like, I want to do this honestly, because they believe you. I mean, you had already tried to get sober once. So did they believe you? Who? The The producer, the the show? um, Well, they didn't know any of that because I had kept all of that from everyone. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. They believe me. <laughs> I think, cause I had called them so broken. And so whatever, I think 100% anyone that had watched 
people that that viewed the show got a very watered down version of what was actually occurring. I don't think they questioned for a minute that I had a problem with drinking. They were like, oh, honey, we know. You know, like they had to beg for me to be on airplanes. They, the, the, and I've made amends to many of the people I've worked with. The situations that I put the people I worked with in were not okay. Mm-hmm. So I think they were like, yeah, we know. We're so glad you know too. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We're so glad. Yeah, we're so glad. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and so now on the show, you're sober. Yeah. Living your life. Yes. And as sobriety has kicked in and you've had to do this emotional work because really, I mean, people, so A, you're in the public eye being sober. Yeah. Which is, can be stressful. I've seen a lot of celebrities have issues with this. Do you feel that pressure? Absolutely. Uh, But not necessarily in a bad way. There have been very low moments where that has been part of what's kept me sober was I didn't want to let people down. Um, That's not what keeps me sober. You know, obviously working my program does, but there have been moments where that did. Um, I do think it's really important to also, you know, I, I talked about this when I was watching the Demi Lovato thing, not to put anyone in sobriety on a pedestal. You know, we're only sober for today. And it's very important not to be, to, to realize that anyone in recovery is only sober for today and to give them that grace. So yes and no, but in a way it has been a blessing of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. We're in this new era of sobriety and it's, it's new for me because I've been sober so long where it was very hush, hush. You're not going to talk about your sobriety in a public arena. And if you do, it was kind of tisk tisk shame on you. So it's been really incredible to see people come out and talk about their recovery and to share about the recovery and not to be like, Hey, look at me, but to say, Hey, look at me. It's okay to get sober. Right. It's it's okay to stop drinking. It's okay to not have to be throwing up or sleeping with your best friend's husband or like it's, it's okay to say enough. Right. So yeah, it's important too, to have those role models, because I don't know if you ever did this when you were drinking. Did you ever say for me, it's like, well, I'm not like my dad, so I'm not an alcoholic or I still have a job or I made it to orange theory today. Yes. So I can't be an alcoholic. So I think it's also important to be like, hi, you know, I, my life on the outside looks pretty great. I still work out and functional, but I'm still an alcohol. This is what alcoholism looks like. Alcohol, alcoholics can wear a gown and have a great life. It's yeah. not some shady man in the alleyway, you know? Yeah. That that's, that's it right there is that my alcoholism, me, I represent, I represent a, a mother, you know, with a neurodivergent child and I have a great life, but I am riddled with alcoholism. If I am not doing this internal work that's required to stay sober. A lot of people talk about like just giving up alcohol. And then I see them really angry, miserable, yeah. Do you think, you know, you went through this kind of this process of putting down, you, you jumped into that mutual aid, you tried to get sober. 
but you said you, you weren't doing this inside work. So what does that inside work look like for you? For me, it was it, humility and acceptance. I went to that first AA meeting, not on purpose. <laughs> the story that got me there is actually so funny now looking back, but I had been filming that day and I was trying to kick everyone out of my house to go drink. I mean, that was truly what I was doing. And long story short, my, they wouldn't leave and legally they don't have to, you know? And so I was like, you know, F you, I'm going to go to an AA meeting because you can't follow me there. Ha ha. And they got in the car that one of the producers with like a handheld got in the car with me. So we go to the meeting and I'm, I am, I'm angry. I am mad. And we get in there. Sean can't find parking. So that my, my producer says, Hey, do you want me to go in with you? And I'm like, yes. Cause now I have to go to an AA meeting that I wasn't, I was planning on going to like the Lido house across the street. So I walk in and we're going around the room and he says, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic and all the fight in me. I realized in that moment, he wasn't trying to be an asshole. He was trying to save my life. And I just looked at him and I started crying and I was like, oh my God, this is what it took to get me here. And I sat through that meeting. There was a woman I knew from my town that I never would have thought was an alcoholic pillar in the community. And I, I was humbled, I was broken and I was willing. And I always thought I knew better. You know, I knew you, whatever work, well, that's not going to work for me. Howard power. That's stupid. You know, I'm, I, I know what's best for me. And I just had that moment of whatever I know is wrong. And I was willing. And that was the first time I had the willingness to accept another way that wasn't my own. And I took it in and I didn't need to be right. And I didn't need to be better. I just needed to shut up and listen. And I, I, it, it took me a little while to get a sponsor and everything because this was two weeks before everything shut down. So I had only gone to about, I would say maybe, cause I was also working full time. So I'd only made it to about maybe five in-person meetings, six maybe before everything shut down. Every alcoholic I know, I think has this arrogance. Yeah. yeah it's really, I love it. I mean, it really gets us far in life, <laughs> you know? And when I see it, I, I can identify it and I'm like, yes. And I think there's something about that. You know, I know what's best. It takes us for a long ride. And then suddenly we don't know. We stop knowing what's best for us. And I, could, I just had this visual of you in this meeting and the tears coming down and having that moment of, I don't know what I don't know anymore. I don't know. And you don't know until you don't know. And then you're like, oh, what do I do? And that humility, right? That is what is required. It's that it's coming to that acceptance and it's a deep place. I see so many women fight that of like, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. And that is, that's the issue right there. I can figure this out. There is no figuring it out. I don't think it's it is really what you just said, that acceptance and the humility of saying, the, the gig is up. I need help. And so when you are in that room or surrounded by, you have new people, I'm assuming, in your life. 
I mean, I do, not everyone is new. Like I do have a lot of good people still in my life that, okay. you know, like mom, a lot of my friends aren't problem drinkers. So those, you know, like I do have normal, normal people, those fake friends that I got towards the end, those people are out of my life. My true friends, the real ones, the ones that I had been pushing away, those people are still here. And so there's been change. Yeah. There, well, there's been a lot of change in my life. Yeah. Like a lot. So what else has changed? Well, I came out after <laughs> at 40 oh. as I'm now like I'm dating women now. So you're not with your husband now. <laughs> oh, oh, you didn't know any of this. Oh, I just assumed. No, no. So, See, this is what I love about sober life. No, oh. there is like an awakening, an awakening. Oh, I'm gay. I, I'm married, but I'm still married. So during quarantine, I'm working my program. I do find a sponsor, um, an amazing sponsor. And we're going through the resentments and we're talking. And like most of it was towards my husband, like all of it. I mean, not all of it. And, and I, let me just say this. I'm going back and redoing my steps right now because that my first attempt at them, when I look back, I was like, oh, honey, that was like some petty, all your fault bullshit. Like I, I, I have calmed down enough to, to know that I need to redo them. Honestly, I was still kind of lashing out a little bit at the time, but you know, it is what it, it, it is. And I, I do, someone once said to me, what would I turn one year sober? Okay. Now let the real work begin. And I definitely am feeling that now, like, okay, now I actually can start doing the real work. That was survival. This is maintenance. But yeah, so I was going through my, you know, my resentments and doing all this. And a lot of the stuff that was coming up was towards Sean and my sexuality. And I think like towards, she's like, honey, I think you're gay. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, right? Was this like an aha moment? It, it was, yeah. it, it, cause I always knew I was attracted to women. I just assumed I was bisexual, but so keep in mind during quarantine, I'm sober. I'm working the steps at 45 days into quarantine. So maybe about 75 days sober, give or take, I almost relapsed and I called my good friend. She has been in the program for 22 years. She came over and we quarantined together and our friendship became more than a friendship. And it wasn't physical, it was emotional. But meanwhile, I'm talking to my sponsor about all this. So, so here's, so, and I can't, it's just, it was so much. So I'm falling in love with my best friend. My husband is obviously aware of this. So he has an extramarital affair. I kick him out. <laughs> I'm, I'm having feelings for this person. Then my daughter, one of my children is bipolar. She has some really serious issues that she's going through. Sean comes back home. We realize that no matter what's going on with us, we need to be united front as parents. This is all during the global pandemic. I'm staying sober. I'm going to meetings right now, two or three times a day because I am barely holding on to sanity and I'm still feeling. Yeah. There's so, there's so many, the emotional roller coaster is real. And it is. the fact that you had somebody that you could call and connect with deeply is, I I call that a higher power, honestly, like it is so divinely inspired that you can't make this up. Right. She literally put me to work. Like you couldn't make this up. Like, and she was like, your chop wood carry water. Like I would start to spiral and she'd be like, nope. And we'd go through steps one, two, and three, 20 times a day sometimes. 
And then she would literally be like, okay, we're going to the beach. We're going to pick up trash. I'm like, okay. And, and I would just, okay. Okay. You know, we would volunteer. She, she got me starting things. She's like, you need to be proactive. I'm doing the zoom meetings. Like I said, during the pandemic, I would do three a day sometimes. But so all of this is coming up and I'm staying sober, which I don't even know at that point how that's happening. Um, It's happening with this higher power. Like that's what's happening. It's happening because you have tapped into a source that's greater than you, greater than you. You, you put your hands up and said, this is, I'm done. And you allowed that source to come through you and show up in people. And that's, and that's an important thing I want because I know a lot of people when they go to these things, they're like, I'm not religious. I don't believe yep. in God. Mm-mm. I am not. My higher power are the people in that room. Yeah. And the more I show up, the more my higher power grows and becomes bigger because there's been some things that have happened that are bigger than just people. But that's all I needed in the beginning was my higher power was everyone in that room. And I see how it's changing and growing now because there's some things that don't make sense. It never makes sense. You know what I mean, like in our, if it's just people, I'm, I don't even know how to describe this. It's bigger than humans in yes. a way. If that's a good way to describe it. Yes. But I didn't need to believe that in the beginning. I just needed to believe in the power of that, of that group of, of people trying to get sober. And so you're now with this, you have a new partner or no? Are you just footloose and fancy free? Yeah, yeah. I'm dating right now. I mean, I'm That's I'm having so fun. I'm having fun. Sean and I still live together. Okay. So we're in different rooms. Yeah. We are best friends. We are yeah. family. We are co-parenting. Yeah. We are figuring out what works for us right yeah. now. Yep. In an open, honest way. And how is Bella taking this? She hates it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to think about like you are evolving rapid fire. Yes. So Bella's having the hardest time. She doesn't live here. She has a boyfriend. She comes over all the time to visit. They're five minutes away. She doesn't really want to talk about it, which is how she she is. Rowan and Jacob, we talk about everything. You know, they're very, they're very open about it. The little kids, once again, age appropriately. They know that mommy has some new friends. Yeah. Um, That's, That's, I think it's really beautiful. And that's what we get. This opportunity in recovery is to explore the possibilities, right? Before there were no possibilities. No. The possibility was reaching for the drink. That was it. It was chain cuffed around, right? There weren't any other options to see. So I think this is really, I think it's a magical experience. So when I got sober, I was dating women exclusively, way, way gay, way gay. I'm now married to a man. And I found in recovery, like that's what happened right? The, the, no joke. It's like, that's not what I plan at all. <laughs> so you don't, you don't know. And right again, open, open to possibilities. That is the gift of recovery is being awake. And isn't it so nice to like, I think one of the things is, you know, I went through so much of my life just quietly numbing out. And even if I wasn't drinking, I was shopping or planning a trip or planning a party, but you know, I definitely had so many different ways that I numbed out. And when you stop drinking and start getting sober and you stop numbing out, you realize that you just don't have to be a little bit miserable anymore. You know, like you can sit in the uncomfortable and then you can create this beautiful life. If you had told me a year ago, 
the things that would be happening in my life right now, I would not have believed you. I mean, yeah. things that I've been able to do. Yeah. Like, like that's not, I mean, yeah. Sobriety is such a beautiful gift. It's sobriety there. And there are two different things. And I don't think you realize it until you, till you feel it. Do you want to drink again? No, I never want to drink again. I yeah. truly hope one day at a time working a program, I never drink again. What do you, what are your, what's your daily practice? Like, I mean, things I do every day, I wake up, obviously I have seven kids, six of which are still at home. So my mornings are, I wish I could say I woke up and meditated, but I don't, I don't do that. I wake up, I drink coffee, I throw on a bathrobe and, you know, I try to get the kids out the door in time for school. That's the truth. You're not hung over. Yeah. And I'm not hung over, you know, like I try not to be late for, we try not to be late for school, but once the kids go, then I work out every day. I work out for about an hour and a half. I have a gym in my home. So I'm very blessed that I have that. And then I end my workouts, you know, I do yoga and then I do about a five to 10 minute meditation. When I first started, I did a 30 second meditation because this is painful. My brain couldn't. And I've just slowly, I didn't pressure myself. I just was like, okay, every day, just do it for as long as you can. And then a big part for me has been giving back. What can I do? In the beginning, almost to a fault. That became my new addiction, you know. But I've started Amplified Voices, which is something I'm really proud of. What is that? Amplified Voices, it's my IGTV channel where I get to interview other people. I did during Transgender Awareness Week, you know, people in the transgender community, people in the LGBTQIA plus community. A big part of it was during Black Lives Matter, where I turned my platform over to, you know, people of color to share their story. It's just a way, I think, for sharing stories on a very personal level. I think that representation matters. I, I share a lot of sobriety stories. A lot of people that have gotten sober because I think the more you see people and you can relate to them and destigmatize them and get to know them, then it helps break down barriers. Mm. That has been a passionate thing. And then another thing I did was during quarantine, I was talking to my friend, uh, my friend that helped me. And I was saying, everyone needs AA meeting. Even if you're not an alcoholic, everyone needs this community support. And she's like, well, why don't you start one? I was like, that's a great idea. So I started doing mental health Zooms once a month where we have different speakers and different topics in the mental health world. And it's a, you know, round table sharing and everyone gets a chance to, and it's just kind of building that community of support and not stigmatizing all the things around mental health has been such a blessing for me. And then I went back to school, What? you know, I'm 43. I haven't been in school since 96. So do the math. It's been a, been a few years. I definitely know I didn't have a computer the last time I was in school and uh, I went back to school and which has been a struggle and out of my comfort zone, but I really want to, you know, going back to be a drug and alcohol rehabilitation therapist. I know it's cliche for every sober person. And I (laughs) I mean, your journey is so beautiful as every, every mother has a beautiful journey. I love that you're so invested in giving back and creating community and supporting and being present for your kids being open and available for them. I would love to invite our listeners to 
follow you, where can they, where can they hang out with you and where can they, the amplified awareness, the voices, where are they going to go? Bronwyn? So my Instagram is my name, Bronwyn Windenberg, one name, pretty much everything is on there. I have Bronwyn.com where we post a lot of the information. The amplified voices is always on my Instagram. It's on my IGTV. And if you have a chance, we recently did a takeover Thursday and my friend Taria had some really beautiful stories that her friend shared um, in the black community that I think everyone should check out because I think we always are learning and growing, whether it be about racial issues or social justice or addiction, you know, we always have room to grow. So, and there are some really amazing addiction stories on there too, if you, if you wanna check those out. I have been blessed and I think we all are in the recovery community that if you ask, you receive. We all show up for each other. Once you get sober, you never have to be alone again. Never, never. <laughs> oh, mama, you are the best. Bronwyn, thank you so much for hanging out today with our listeners and with me and sharing the gift of recovery. And I can't wait to see you on Clubhouse soon. Thank you so much. Mama, may you find something rich, something delicious, something bright and juicy that fills you up so you can be the best mama you can be. Take good care. What an incredible episode. Bronwyn is a bundle of joy. I loved hanging out with her. Make sure that you follow her on all her social and make sure that you check out the Calm Life program where I'm going to teach you how to respond to life's little agitations, like when your partner doesn't do the dishes or how to sleep deeply and improve the quality of your life and how to let go of guilt because perhaps you're not doing enough, all of it in the Calm Life program. Check it out, recoverlikeamother.com forward slash Calm Life program. I'll see you there. Thanks again for listening.